Good evening. Happy New Year. This is me officially returned to Edinburgh. We came back in the car earlier today. I'm back, back in the city. Uh, I am saying Happy New Year to people. Um, I'm also struggling to say that. I'm mourning the loss of the holiday, uh, the 9am mince pies, uh, the 9am crackers, the 9am gin and tonics. Um, I'm struggling to say Happy New Year, but Happy New Year, nonetheless, Happy New Year. Um, Why don't you, just for a couple of minutes, just turn to somebody, and and maybe even somebody you haven't spoken to yet, and why don't you uh, give them a Happy New Year, why don't you say to them what you've been up to over the holidays, Uh, and why why don't you just do that for a couple of minutes now, that'd be really helpful. Brilliant, thank you so much for doing that. I'm sure that you've started conversations, that you're welcome to continue at the end of the service. It's always a bit of time to hang out. Uh, Equally, uh, some people sometimes head off to the pub after a service, go and join them, or come and connect with us at the back if you want to work out how to connect more at church. It's great to have you here. It is a great pleasure to speak tonight, despite missing the holidays so much already. Um, I'm speaking about the epiphany, as Libby said. I don't know if you've heard of the Epiphany before, uh, but this, it, it's this word given to this celebration that we're having that happens today. Uh, it's, it's the end, as Libby said, of, of the Christmas period, of the whole nativity thing, uh, and it's basically the day where we celebrate a particular moment in history that's recorded in the Bible. And it's the moment where the Magi, I have to keep getting that right, uh, I was tearing between magi or magi, and it's not supposed to be magi. Don't say magi, don't say magi. So the magi, it's the moment where the magi turn up at the home of Mary and Jesus, and they offer to Jesus these gifts. And it's called the epiphany because it's, it, it's this coming together. It's this moment. It's this significant moment. In fact, I've got, I've got the, the definition here, the word epiphany is from the Koine Greek, epiphaneia, meaning manifestation or appearance. It's the moment. In fact, the frame, the picture frame of the moment is so significant. Uh, the Western church and churches all over the world, in fact, have been celebrating this in loads of different ways ever since. Uh, there's church services that are based on it. Um, there's winter swims that take place. I was reading. Interesting. Anybody gone for a swim today? Literally nobody. Okay, maybe not in Scotland understandable. Uh, Sometimes people draw chalk on their door. Sometimes people have a feast. There's something about this moment. I don't know about you, but that was surprising to me. I mean, of course I know the story. Even if you don't know the Bible that well, you might have heard the moment where the three wise men or, or the magi or whoever they are, the three kings, maybe they turn up and they give Jesus their gold, frankincense and myrrh. You may have heard that, but why is that so significant? Why is it mentioned every time? Why is it that when we recount the story of the birth of Jesus, that's something that always gets remembered? Well, I think there is actually something really significant that's going on just in that little frame, that snapshot. And we're going to explore some of that tonight. And then we're going to look at how can we, looking at the Magi, how can we live as a response to that in 2019? How can we live our lives in a way that looks a little bit like what they did 2,000 years ago? Why is it so significant? How's it going to change your everyday? That's kind of where we're going. So, in order to further understand the epiphany, we've got to look at these magi characters. Not magi, magi. And the reason why it's not magi, even though 
the word magi, we get to the word magic in English. Even though that is the case, it kind of gives us the wrong picture. And, and to say the least, you're saying it wrong if you say magi. Magi, the word magi, comes from the Koine Greek. And it's the word used to describe sorcerers. Or even more specifically, astronomers or astrologers. People who looked for meaning in creation. Particularly the stars. They looked to predict futures or uh, tell people about their lives. They looked to the stars and creation, the night sky for meaning. They originated in the Far East, kind of distant land, distant culture. Some scholars believe that they, particularly the Magi in this, um, in this part of the gospel, they think that um, they may have been a part of the Zoroastrianism, Zoroastrianists. It's like a particular form of religion. In fact, if anyone saw Bohemian Rhapsody, over the last month, uh, you'll know that Freddie Mercury and his family actually are all belong to that faith. And it, it, it's a faith that, again, it, it, they look to the sky for meaning. They believe in a deity, and it's one of the oldest religions going. And in fact, uh, uh, religions like Judaism, Buddhism, they borrow stuff from what Zoroastrian has said. But it's looking for meaning. Looking for meaning in creation. Looking up in the night sky. When you picture the Magi, I want you to picture people who don't look like you, who don't speak the same language you speak, who have come from a faraway land, but like you are looking for meaning, looking for purpose, looking for something that's going to change their everyday. That's who the Magi are. And they traveled all this distance because they've been following a star. These are people who look up at the night sky often. When they see a star that's bright and moving, they're following it. But they're following it for another reason also. These are people who will have heard the prophecies of a king that is going to come. They may, it's not a stretch to believe that they may have even heard some of the Old Testament prophecies that we too have heard if you've read some of them. Stuff like in Micah that, uh, th that's mentioned in our passage, that there will be a king born in Bethlehem. A king of the Jews. So these magi, often called wise men, are people who are alert to what is happening around them because they're searching for an answer. And they find their answer in Bethlehem. They find their answer in the infant Jesus. So that's what the magi are. And when they turn up in Bethlehem, they ask around, and they're looking for the king. They even go to Herod. And Herod's saying, what are you talking about? I'm confused. Herod's not on the ball. He's not looking. But eventually, they turn up at the home of Jesus. It's a house. Now, when we picture the nativity scene and all of the Christmas story, it's very neat to put it all together into one particular moment. Jesus is born, and then there's like shepherds, and then there's wise men, and it's all happening at the same time, and it's very convenient. I think the likelihood is uh, that's probably not how it went down. In fact, actually, we find later on in this, in this gospel um, that Herod uh, then decrees the slaughter of the innocents. It's when he says that he wants everybody two years and younger to be slaughtered because he doesn't want this king to overthrow him. He sees this new king as a threat. 
He doesn't want the people, the Jewish people, to start following another person but him. Why does he uh, order two years and younger? Well, it's probably the case that Jesus is around that age at this point in time. So maybe don't picture a baby, maybe picture a toddler. And so they've arrived at this house, house, not stable or outhouse, where Jesus is said to be born. They arrive at this house, and there they find Jesus, a toddler. I I don't spend loads of time uh, with children. Um, I have met children before in my life. Um, But uh, in fact, if you come here on a Thursday where there's babies and toddlers all day, you're going to see loads of children, loads of toddlers. And if you've ever seen a toddler, you'll see that they love to run around, make loads of noise, pick things up, throw things around, have a play, have a laugh, maybe have a cry. That's the kind of scene I'm picturing when these guys arrive. They see this child. Perhaps it's even nighttime because they've been following the star. Perhaps the child is tired. Perhaps the child is running around causing a bit of havoc, pulling at their cloaks, trying to put the gold in his mouth. There's something really amazing about this scene. There's something family-like about this scene. But don't be mistaken, Jesus is king. And don't be mistaken, these guys know that he's king. That's the thing that blows my mind. That's the thing, that's one of the things that makes us look at the epiphany as such an amazing moment. Is these wise men, these people from a faraway culture, faraway land, they've turned up at this house in this dead-end town. They've seen this toddler, and they're giving some of their most prized possessions to him. They've seen this toddler, and they've decided that everything that they have given their lives to so far doesn't amount to anything like this. That the crown of their lives, whether placed on on the stars or creation or this, this idea of a mysterious deity, well, all of that's out the window now. Because they've taken one look at Jesus, and they've said, this really is the king. I'm putting the crown of my life on his head. No thing that blows my mind about that. Jesus is like this tall, maybe. He's not healed anybody yet. Not in person, not, not in, as the Gospels recall it. He's not been baptized. There's been no wedding at Cana. There's been no crucifixion where he died for everybody. Flesh torn from skin, tortured, beaten, bled out, humiliated. That's not happened. He's not even risen from the dead. You know, without the resurrection, arguably the pivotal moment in all of history, without the resurrection, there is no life in the face of death. There is no, I'm a Christian and I go to church. Because it's because of the resurrection that I get to have life. Today, in 2019, it's because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of his sacrifice and then his defeat of death. He hasn't done any of that yet. If you ask me why I'm a Christian, I'm going to label, well, it's something to do with the resurrection. It's something to do with what he's done in my life, how he's made me feel, the experiences I've had, the things he's healed me of, the things I've heard and seen him do. All of that stuff is encompassed in it. Experience-based, perhaps, but also biblically-based, also uh, probably partly based in my upbringing, the lot. Yeah, I admit it. That's, those are lots of the reasons why I'm a Christian today. The major, I had none of that. 
They rock up at the door. They see the toddler and they say, that's the king, not just of the Jews. These guys weren't Jews. They were from a Far Eastern culture, Far Eastern land. No, they recognized even way before, way ahead of their time, way before lots of people recognized. They recognized that he's not just the king of the Jews. He's our king. He could be king of all people. And I believe it. There's something powerful that happens at the epiphany. And the reason why I think we still talk about it today, the reason why I think we still celebrate it, the reason why we've given it a name is because that snapshot is exactly what Jesus came here to do. Because in that room, you have Mary, part of the family of God, representing uh, the old family of God, the law, a Jew, a devout Jew. You then have this group of people who are completely different, culturally, skin color, accent, you name it, completely different. In fact, Jews would have looked at people like them and said, you're unclean, you're unholy, you're not worthy of the family of God, you're not a chosen people, you're not from around here, you're not deserving of the God of love, of the one true God, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham. But they're in the same room, and right in the middle is Jesus, the king, the king of all people, the lover of all people, friend to all people, healer, savior, redeemer. And he's right in the middle in this room together. See, that's the whole deal. God didn't just come and send his son for some people, for the okay people, for the righteous people or the holy people, the people who tick all the right boxes and had the right upbringing and were brought up in the right places. God didn't just come for those people. In fact, there's a special emphasis in the Gospels that he came for the opposite of those people. Later on in Matthew, we see a scene where Jesus is in the midst of his ministry and he's inviting people around for, for some food uh, and some religious types, some holy people, some righteous people. They say to Jesus, well, you can't invite some of those people because they're not worthy. They're unclean. They're unholy. You shouldn't have them around at your house. You shouldn't mix with those kinds of people. They're not right. And Jesus said, well, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the unrighteous. I didn't come for the holy, I came for the unholy. Somebody who's healthy doesn't need a doctor. Somebody who's well doesn't need a physician. It's the sick that I came for. And there's lots of ways that you can read a passage like that. There's lots of ways that you can try and translate it into your everyday. Well, how do I feel physically? Am I sick or am I well? I think there's lots of rabbit holes you can fall down. I think it's really very simple. I think Jesus is saying something more than just how do you feel physically, how do you feel emotionally. I think he's going deeper. I think he's suggesting that a life without God at the center, that when you put your crown on your marriage or your kids or your career or your friendships or all of your hopes and dreams are on wealth and health or whatever, when that's where, if, if you precariously place your crown in that place, 
It's great, but what if it falls? Jesus says, when you put the crown of your life on my head, it will never fall. And you'll know life in all of its fullness. He's saying, if you don't put the crown of your life on my head, you will be sick. He's talking about your soul. He's talking about the things that really matter. Of course, you won't get well in this lifetime. You'll catch the cold or the flu or maybe even worse. And of course, there will be mental health struggles that will happen today. Jesus didn't say your life would be easy. He said it would be hard. Of course, that stuff happens. And his cry is that it wouldn't. And his hope is that you would search for him in the darkness. But what he's talking about is something deeper. About the wellness and the wholeness of your soul. We live right in the middle of a time and culture where we are talking about that all of the time, aren't we? There's wholeness and wellness sections in libraries. There's mental health awareness days, weeks, months. Constantly we're talking about how these things are really important and they need to be aired. I think our city, our culture, our world is waking up to the truth. That money can't buy you love. Relationships won't satisfy you. Your job won't fulfill you. What you got in school or university, it won't define who you are forever. The world is waking up to this fact that there is something deeper and more, and it's desperately clawing at everything to try and fill the gap. Do yoga, do this, do that, to eat healthily, and all those things are so helpful. God created us as physical people. All those things are so, some of them are so real. And they're so right, and they're so good. But Jesus, in that moment, is talking about something deeper. He's talking about your soul. He's talking about the wholeness of your heart. And he knows, just like the Magi knew, in that little house in Bethlehem, when they looked at him as a toddler, they knew that it was him that could fill that space. That it was only him that was deserving of the crown of their lives. So I have three little applications for you. And they're based on what we see the major I do. And in fact, actually, um, the reason why I have these applications is because I really think that the Bible should change our every day. I really think it should be relevant today. If it's not relevant today, making a difference, then what's the point? It's just an old history book. I don't believe that's the case. It's living and breathing. So this is stuff that you can do tomorrow, then on Tuesday, on Wednesday, and on Thursday, and you could do it for the next Tuesday, and then you could do it for the Tuesday after that, and maybe even last of the Sunday after that. I think it takes like three weeks to start a new habit. So these are like three habits you can form in your life that I believe are ways that we should respond to a passage like the Epiphany. And they're based on what the Magi did. So what did they do? So they opened their ears. They opened their ears. They were listening. They were listening out for the prophecies. They were listening out for what's going on, what's happening in the world. They were opening their ears to the possibility that there might be something more. That the answer to their deepest questions about meaning in life could be answered. Their ears were open to the possibility that there was a God who was alive and doing things all around them. Their ears were open to the possibility that there could be a star one day that leads them 
to a place where they'll find the person who could change the landscape of their lives forever and ever and ever and ever. Their ears were open. Are your ears open? Are my ears open? Every day, on the bus, at work, at university, at school, wherever I am, are my ears open? Am I listening intently? God, what are you doing? What are you saying? What are you saying to me? What are you saying to that person over there? What are you saying to my friend or in that situation or in my workplace? What are you saying? And are you up for the fact that if you open your ears, you might hear something that could change your life? Are your ears open like the Magi's ears? Are your eyes open? Are your eyes open? You know, (laughs) they had to to go out at night, get out of their beds, go outside, get away from lit fires or smoky whatever, and go into the darkness and look up at the night sky. They had to do that. And they did it regularly. They did it so regularly, they did it at the right time to catch the right star. And when they looked up, they saw it. And it led them, and it led them a long way, but they followed because their eyes were open. I'm not necessarily saying that there's going to be a star out there tonight for you to follow. There might be, but I'm not necessarily saying that's what's going to happen. But there's a metaphor there, isn't there? Are your eyes open? And sometimes it's inconvenient for your eyes to be open, but are they open nonetheless? God, show me where you're leading me. Show me where to go. Show me who to speak to. You know, these magi, their eyes were open. And because their eyes were open, because even though it was inconvenient to be up in the middle of the night looking at stars and all of that stuff, because their eyes were open, they met the king of kings. And it changed them forever. For a long time, people have called them the Magi or the wise men. There's nobody in any culture, in any history, that has ever called a young person a wise person. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but what we can infer from that is these people have been living their way for a long time. They were probably older than I am. And they gave up all the pride of saying, but I've given my life to this thing. They gave up all of that to open their eyes to something that could change their lives forever. And because their eyes were open, their world and everything was changed, transformed. And because their eyes were open, when they looked at the toddler, Jesus, when they looked at the infant, they didn't just see this crazy, noisy, probably snotty mess, but they also saw the king of all. Because their eyes were open. Are your eyes open? In your everyday, are your eyes open? And listen, I'm not getting this right. This is two out of three applications, and I'm already failing badly. I'm not getting this right all the time. But this is a daily prayer. This is an opportunity every day. God, open my ears. God, open my eyes that I might see and hear what you're up to. And lastly, when they got to the house... They open their hearts. They open their hearts. They actually bowed down 
and worshipped. Again, Jesus is a little kid. You've got to get low to bow down lower than him. But they had no problem with that. They bowed down and worshipped. They worshipped sacrificially. They gave to him some of the most precious treasures that they had. Matthew calls them treasures. Frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Foreign items. Things that it was a sacrifice to give. Their hearts were open to receive. This wasn't just something that was a feel-good moment. This isn't just a wonderful little picture in the nativity with a star. This is a life-changing moment. This snapshot, this frame, the epiphany is the moment where some say it all began, that we get to see God's beginning, middle, and end. Is your heart open? Is your heart so open that you might bow down and worship? And not just worship so that it feels good. Worship so that other people see you worship. Worship so that you get the tingles or you get those happy tears or whatever. Those things are fantastic, but that's not why you worship. If that's why I worship, I need to do some serious work. And let let me tell you, sometimes that's why I worship. And it's so hard, especially when you sit on the front row and then you come up on the platform. It's so hard sometimes not to slip into act how people, so that people can see you. It's really hard sometimes. I, my battle is I have to get up in here and I have to be, look, listen, this is for God, not for anything else. When we worship, God heals people. When we worship, God speaks to us. When we worship, amazing things happen. Real breakthroughs, real powerful moves of the Spirit, all that stuff happens. That's not why we worship. It's a byproduct. That's fantastic. Thank you, Jesus. That's not why we're here. We worship because He's worthy of worship. For me to be in that place, not just on a Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day when it gets dark and when it gets really difficult. For me to be in that place, my heart's got to be hope open. And not just open, but open to him and him alone. So my prayer, my encouragement for you tonight is to have a go at that stuff. If you want to meet Jesus for the first time or for the millionth time, and you want to grow close in your relationship with God, you want to know what it means to live a life close, hearing and seeing and, and having your heart open to who he is, then I just encourage you, have a go at this stuff. Step by step, little by little, have a go at this stuff. Have a go at it every day for three weeks, and it might become a habit that, that forms your life. Because Jesus promises life in all of its fullness. Trust me, you don't want to open your ears or your eyes or your heart to anything else. Life gets noisy, it gets blurry, and it's all trying to invade who you are. Life is to be enjoyed. Some of that stuff's great. But not when it overtakes who Jesus is supposed to be in your life. Let's pray.